Welcome to episode 28 of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. Today, we're again taking a break from the Women of the Bible series, and we are instead going to do an episode on one of my passion projects, actually my main passion project recently, which is on gender roles in the church. So for me, this is a really big and really important topic, and I started this whole project of learning about it, I would say in earnest, a few months ago. But it is something that I've been reading about, thinking about, praying about, discussing with other people for a very long time, (laughs) since college, maybe even before that. It keeps coming up off and on, and I've read articles off and on, I've talked about it off and on, but now I am going hard, all in, want to learn about this, want to have definitive answers as much as possible. And so I'm really exploring gender roles in the church and gender roles in the home, meaning with marriage. I have been looking at and reading Genesis as well as there's about eight passages in the New Testament that either reference women um, or their roles in the home or marriage or their roles in the church. So I've been really looking at those verses and then really thinking about them. I also in college was a history major and an English minor, so I'm using those research skills that I've learned before, and I am using them to really dig in and research, get a lot of people's perspectives on it, get a lot of historical context, the interpretation of scripture, the original Greek or Hebrew, depending on which passages I'm reading, and I'm putting all of those skills to good use and learning from people who also have way more advanced skills than I do. (laughs) so that they can give me some information that I wouldn't have known without their help. Ultimately, my goal is the truth. That's what I'm going for when I'm doing these episodes or spending time researching gender roles. I just want to know what the truth is. Honestly, I have been pretty hesitant to share this project with a lot of people, uh, mostly because I worry about the judgment. I'm just going to be honest. I'm human and have, have those fears. But as I've been opening up more and more, I have been hearing from more and more women that they want to learn about it. They're curious, they're interested. And so that's the whole point of sharing what I've learned so far through these podcast episodes. This episode is really just going to be a part one attempt to share what I've learned so far. And my thoughts on the subject are really formative. They're things that I have looked into, have thought about, have discussed in great detail with many thought partners. But at the end of the day, I might come back with a future episode where there's corrections or updates or changes in the future. So I just want to say that even though I have drawn some conclusions, it's possible that things can change as I continue to research. That is how research works. So just know, I don't know everything. I'm just a woman on a mission to understand. I also want to give a special thanks to my best friend, Erin, and my husband, Matt, for being my thought partners on this topic frequently. (laughs) Oh, very, very frequently. I will talk to them about it. And I have lots of discussion buddies besides them. And I really appreciate their help helping me understand what I am learning and reading and their input and their correction as needed to keep me in check as I'm having all these thoughts on the subject. All right, let's get started. Hey, Millennial. Welcome to the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women, where you can come as you are, where you are in your faith journey. We're here to explore who God is and what He has to say through studying His words in the Bible. Hi, I'm Katherine Elise, and each week it's my intention to take important, 
relevant topics and examine them with you through the lens of God's Word and the good news of Jesus. If you're here for an honest look at Scripture beyond pulling random verses out of context, open to creative ways to connect with the ultimate Creator, and hoping for some good old-fashioned critical thinking about living out your faith, you're in the right place. I mean, as a former history teacher, you know I'm not going to let us off the hook with surface-level application. So grab a cup of coffee, put on your favorite sweats, and download that Bible app. Let's get started with today's topic. Lord, I thank you so much that you give us scripture. Thank you that we are to read it and to obey it and to follow it. And I just pray that you would help clarify in our minds what it is teaching about gender roles, if anything. And I pray that we'd be open to the Holy Spirit and his leading and that he would show us how to interpret these passages and how to understand where we got to where we are with understanding um, gender roles. And Lord, I thank you that you have the truth, you have the answer, you have the right understanding, and I pray that we would be submissive to that understanding and ultimately take all of our cues from you, our ultimate authority. We love you, Lord. Please speak through me today that it would be your words coming out of my mouth and not my own. And I pray that you would help me to not be so nervous about talking about this topic, but to really have coherent thoughts and to be able to communicate your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thought I might start off a little bit about why I care, and then we'll get into some definitions so that we have a shared understanding of the terms I'll be using. Then I'll talk about what works have informed my understanding so far, and then we'll get into what I've learned. So there's a little outline for you. Why do I care? Well, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I did not grow up going to church. My family did not teach me the Bible or religion explicitly, and I was never under the impression in my home that women could not be leaders. Never under that impression. And a complementarian model, which I'll define in just a second, was not demonstrated in my home. And my dad very explicitly always encouraged me to pursue my leadership qualities and to develop them and to go for leadership opportunities in every sphere of my life. So that's how I grew up. And then I started going to a Christian school in seventh grade. And that's when I started to learn about complementarianism and gender roles. The issue of complementarianism, I have to say, has rarely come up in my marriage. I've been married for over six years, and my husband and I discuss it often because it's my passion project right now, and we've discussed women being pastors many times, and we have discussed gender roles, and especially in the dating years, the idea of women being pastors could sometimes be a source of contention for us, though we have come to resolution about that. The other reason that I really care about this is after having my daughter, I really wanted to get to the bottom of this issue. My daughter is only nine months old (laughs) at the time of this recording, but I'm just imagining her one day asking me questions about these things. And I want to know what I believe. And I want to know what the scriptures say. And I want to understand them on a deeper level. And so my submission of my heart is ultimately to God, and I believe that he has put this issue on my heart in the first place. And I hope that the outcome of what I learned, the outcome of the conclusions I come to, is ultimately what he says and not 
what I hope it is. All right, some definitions. We're going to define patriarchy first. And I got this definition from the Cambridge Dictionary. and <laughs> It defines it as, quote, a society in which the oldest male is the leader of the family or a society controlled by men in which they use their power to their own advantage, end quote. So I think that patriarchy is something that we really have to think about when we are looking into the issue of gender roles. And we especially need to be aware of men who are using their power to their own advantage. And I think it's really helpful for us to have the question in our mind, who benefits? Who is the one benefiting from this teaching? And why is this teaching important to that person? The second term, and this one has a few subterms that I want to define, is complementarianism. A complementarian is someone who believes that men and women are equal and made in the image of God, that both male and female are made in the image of God, but they believe that each has a distinct gender role in the home and in the church, and that role is based on their genders. So an example of this would be husband's being the leaders of the family. That would be a gender-based role that husbands would have if you believe in complementarianism. The roles are meant to act in a complementary way in conjunction with each other to promote a thriving household. That is the ultimate goal of complementarianism. That's, that's why it's called complementarian. Within complementarianism, there are people who believe in quote unquote soft complementarianism. <laughs> And then there are people who subscribe to hard complementarianism. So let's start with soft complementarianism. And I'm getting these definitions from a New Yorker article that I'll link in the show notes where Beth Allison Barr and Kristen Cobes Dumay were interviewed. Now, soft complementarianism is quoted as the man practices headship and arbitrates most major decisions. Both husband and wife understand that they're ultimately submitting to Jesus. In most complementarian churches, women either don't preach from the pulpit or aren't allowed to be pastors and elders, or they're not allowed to be lead pastors. So they might be able to like preach on a Sunday once or twice here and there, but they're not allowed to be like the lead teaching pastor of the church. On the other hand, hard complementarianism is much more in line with patriarchy. This is when women rarely work outside the home. So usually they are meant to be only homemakers, no other options. And the conclusive authority over important household decisions is the husband's job. And only men can teach in church. Women in this context would only be able to teach children or other women. So they would not be able to, under any circumstance, preach from the pulpit, even if it's just one Sunday. And certainly they cannot be pastors. Okay, two more terms. Stick with me, guys. (laughs) Egalitarian. If you don't believe in complementarianism, you probably are more of an egalitarian. And in this context, it means the idea that men and women are both equal and both made in the image of God and do not have distinct gender roles. So usually the decision-making power is something that they mutually come to. They make decisions together on equal footing. There's not like a specific, oh, the woman has to do this in the home, the man has to do that in the home. 
There's none of that. And usually they also believe that women can be pastors as the same as men can. Last term is gender roles. That's the idea that God designed women and men for distinct roles based on their genders. And the genders in this context are male and female only. No other genders would be considered. Okay, those are definitions. Now, here's what I've read so far so that you know where my information is coming from. That's very important to me that you know where I got these ideas. (laughs) So first and foremost... There are Bible passages where the idea of complementarianism originated from. And these are primarily, I'm going to list them for you, Genesis 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through 13, 1 Corinthians 14, 26 through 40, Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, Colossians 3, 15 through 25, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 15, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 13, Titus 2, 1 through 15, and 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. Now, I know when I list them out like that, it sounds like there's actually a lot, but I want to emphasize that some of these references out of all the ones I just mentioned only reference marriage. Some of them only reference church structure, where some people get the idea that women can't be pastors. And then some reference both the marriage and the church. And some only mention women and their behavior. A lot of ideas are happening in these different passages, and there are eight of them from the New Testament plus Genesis 1 through 3, where people talk about how what happened at creation set the stage for marriage later on. Secondly, I have read many, 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 many articles online, and I've read articles on all sides with all kinds of perspectives, complementarianism, egalitarianism, somewhere in between all kinds of stuff. Some of them honestly had really ridiculous arguments that did not make sense or did not hold up to any kind of scrutiny. And I dismissed a lot of those. But some of them are really, really compelling articles and compelling arguments. And I am working on adding any compelling, interesting, or helpful articles into a reference guide so that people can check those out in case you're interested. Third, I've read Beth Allison Barr's The Making of Biblical Womanhood, which I would recommend, and I'm going to read it a second time because I read it first at the beginning of the year, so I want to read it again. And then the fourth thing that I've read is almost all of Kristen Cobes Dumais' Jesus and John Wayne. I'm just on the last chapter, so I'm almost done. I would highly recommend both books, but especially Kristen Cobes Dumais' Jesus and John Wayne. It is incredibly eye-opening. Highly recommend, but both are very good. And number five, I have been compiling a reading list of books, especially by people who have doctorate degrees or have had a lot of influence over what people believe in this area. And so I have both complementarian and egalitarian authors on this list. And I discuss almost everything that I learn with my husband who grew up in a complementarian context and also my best friend who also grew up in a complementarian context. I also discuss all of these different things that I read with friends and family, and the ideas that I will present here to you have already been discussed in depth with many people (laughs) before discussing them here, and so they've had time to kind of poke holes in my arguments and things like that, which is always so helpful. But again, that doesn't mean that God will not reveal more later or new information that changes things. That always might happen, and I don't profess to be an expert. 
I'm just someone who is trying to learn and research. With that, let's get into what have I learned so far. This is not by means everything, but in the interest of not talking your ear off, I just wanted to present a few ideas. There's going to be five of them. First, the way I read the scripture passages listed above, the ones that I had already read out loud to you, it was heavily influenced by what I've already been taught about them. And what I mean by this is when I started this project, I made Google Slides (laughs) where each slide had a different pass of the ones that I listed earlier. Now, these passages, when I read them again, and I read them again and again and again recently, I have to say that when I first started this, I could only imagine that they meant a complementarian outcome. I was reading them and I thought to myself, there is no other explanation. This is what it has to mean. It has to be that wives submit to their husbands. It has to mean that the husband is the head of the household. It has to mean that women can't be pastors. It cannot mean anything else. And as I read them again and again and again, I thought, well, what's the point of this project? It says what it says. We'll come back to that idea again later. But let me give you an example. Let me read to you Ephesians 5 verses 21 to 33. And as I read them, I think it might be helpful if in your mind you think about what comes up for you. Do you imagine these mean a complementarian outcome? Yes or no, and kind of maybe think about why. So starting in verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I would read this passage, and I would see the wives submitting to husband's part, and the husband's being the head of the wife part, and I would say to myself, yes, complementarianism is inarguably right. There are no other perspectives. It says what it says. However, (laughs) friends, What I have discovered is that this was a bizarre take for me to have. It is bizarre because I was a history major. I am trained to read things like a historian does in the context of the time period. I have taught my students to do that for years. Seven years I've taught my students to do that. But I found within myself that when it came to the Bible, I checked that skill set at the door. I thought it could only possibly mean 
what John Piper and many, many other pastors had told me it meant. Complementarianism. No other room for interpretation. So since starting this journey, I have learned that I wasn't really questioning the things that pastors and influential men in the evangelical church had taught me. And that's weird because I'm a doubter, I'm a questioner, I'm a thinker by nature when I'm reading texts. That is what I have been taught and trained to do. But not when it came to these texts, these passages of the Bible. Why? Why wasn't I doing that? That's something I've had to wrestle with within myself. The whole first step in this process for me is that when I read any passage of scripture, I do not check my brain at the door when reading it. God gave me my brain for a reason and I am to use that brain. What is the point of having a brain if we're not supposed to think? And people who encourage you not to think for yourself, that's a little scary. (laughs) a little scary people. Okay. The second thing that I learned is that I should really think about how pastors and male church leaders have been taught because they are teaching based on what they have been taught. Everyone does. That's a natural thing, right? You can only teach based on what you've taught, been taught or have learned. And Beth Allison Barr is really the one who taught me this in this context of reading these passages. And come on, Catherine, duh. (laughs) Again, a historian knows how to do this, and I wasn't doing it. I did not consider for myself who are the influences on the interpretations I'm reading of these passages. Who influenced them who are teaching me? Have the pastors pushing complementarianism been taught and read books only by men or only by people who believe in complementarianism? Have they only learned history from white men who wrote their textbooks when they're in seminary or when they're learning about these things? It matters who you learn your history from. It matters who you learn your study of the Bible from. It influences how you read the Bible and what you think is going to be true. So that's something to really think about. That one has been really mind-blowing for me, though it shouldn't have been. I know I'm being a little hard on myself, but like, seriously, (laughs) to some extent, I deserve it. Okay, third thing I've learned, and really think about this one with me, friends, please. This one has really stood out to me recently. Question the evangelical church's obsession with gender roles. And I do mean the word obsession. It is often an obsession. And I really learned this from Kristen Cobes Dumais in her book, Jesus and John Wayne, though once she pointed it out to me, I could see the patterns of it everywhere. There are, as I mentioned before, about eight passages in the New Testament that talk about gender roles or that are specific to women in some way. Some can be about how women dress. Some vaguely talk about gender roles in the church. Some talk about marriage. And several of these passages are actually really, really hard to understand. Only two mention men as the head of the woman. Two. Several mention women submitting to their husbands. I mean, it's interesting, too, to consider that Ephesians 5 starts with submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And really, none of these passages explicitly call the husband the leader or the authority. 
And this was pointed out to me by Margaret Mosco in her interpretation of the passages about headship. She does a whole interpretation of um, the Greek word that was used for headship and says that that word actually can be interpreted in different ways that don't translate to leader or authority. So it's interesting, right? It's interesting to consider that there's not actually that many verses on this topic and that the verses that I've listed, some of them are vague. And there are very few references, honestly, to the separate issues of women as pastors and then also to women being in submission to husbands. It is a topic that is less clear than a lot of other topics in the Bible. Many, many things are very, very clear and talked about constantly in the Bible, especially how Jesus has rescued and saved us, especially his sacrifice for us. So when we take a step back, I think it's important to ask, why this obsession? Why is this such a divisive issue? Why do evangelicals largely as a whole, not every church, certainly not my church, but why do evangelicals largely focus on this? And Kristen Cobes Dumais' work has really opened my eyes to the power dynamics and the charismatic leadership at the heart of this obsession. White patriarchal nationalism is real, and it's how some men stay in power and have influence not just in the church, but on the national stage. How they gain influence money, prestige. So question, my friends, why this has become one of the few really important issues for evangelicals. Why can evangelicals have so many differences, opinions on so many different topics, but on this one, there's so much focus. And again, I would point you to Jesus and John Wayne. She, Kristen Combs Dumay is a professional historian and her work is well-researched. She has tons of references at the end of it, and it is a very good historical work though it took me a while to get through because I had to think so much while I was reading it. Fourth point, your Bible translation matters. I learned this from Beth Allison Barr. She actually taught me that certain translations use the word man in a gender neutral context. So in the original Greek, it might have said something that actually means like humankind instead of just specifically a man, like a male. And because it continues to be translated as man or male, In the New Testament, it influences how we interpret the passages, especially as it relates to pastoral roles. So some of the passages that talk about the role of a pastor and who qualifies, it might sound like it's saying he, 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 but it doesn't always actually translate that way in the Greek. So that's something to consider as well. Also, just to be really explicit, I am in the process of deciding which version of the Bible to read in my own time with God and which ones to reference on this podcast, because some Bible versions really make choices and interpretation that the text is not super clear about, but they've made a decision that this is how they're going to interpret the text. And I'm really noticing this more and more with the New Living Translation, the NLT, which is the one I usually read on this podcast. But the ESV also was made by complementarianisms who feel strongly about complementarianism. So I am working on finding a a version of the Bible that works better for my passion project's purposes. And it might come, I might come to the conclusion that really we have to cross-reference many different versions instead of just relying only on one. So I just wanted to put that out there as well and just be really honest about that. Fifth and last point, question the gatekeepers. 
who have decided what these passages specifically mean. And what I mean by this is really that once meaning has been made of these passages, I notice that male pastors start to reference one another as evidence that they are right in their interpretations. And I just want to remind the church as a whole that our ultimate authority is God, not other men. And every man and every woman that you have ever known in your life or encountered is imperfect, incorrect in some way, sinful in many ways. We all fall short. We have all sinned. That's not to say that we shouldn't read what other people have written and try to understand it and examine it and help it influence our understanding. Of course, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm reading lots of books and opinions. But as you read, as you research, as you learn, just remember to ultimately submit to Christ above all others. Because just because a belief has been in place for a really long time, that doesn't make it correct. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it true. And something I keep coming across, especially when I'm reading from complementarian authors, is that there's this argument that we should read scripture passages as a quote unquote plain reading. And what they mean by this usually is that we don't dig too much into the context, the historical context of the time. We just read it for what it is. My question to that is why? What are you afraid that we're going to discover if we dig into the historical context? I also want us to be really cautious about adding to the words of Jesus or adding to the words that are written in the Bible. I have honestly seen many, 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 especially hard complementarians, making very specific arguments about exactly how women and men should act in the home, who should do what role, who should do what job, who should do the finances, who's in charge of X, Y, Z. And those things are largely extra biblical, meaning they are not explicitly written in the scripture. Be cautious of people who are adding to the scripture. Be careful not to add to the words of God like the Pharisees did. And if you want to hear more about how Jesus talked to the Pharisees who did this, I'd encourage you to read Matthew 23. Some of his harshest words were for Pharisees and gatekeepers of religious law. I know this episode's getting a little long. I apologize. (laughs) I guess I'm being kind of long-winded, but I wanted to leave you with the words that Paul wrote in Colossians 2 as it relates to this idea of adding to the Bible. Chapter 2 of Colossians says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for those who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than Christ. I'd encourage you to to read the rest of this passage that ended with verse 8, but if you want to read the rest of Colossians 2, it's really great. Ultimately, what do I hope will come out of this passion project? Mostly three things. 
First, I want to grow in my understanding of God, and I want to grow closer to him in the process. Two, I want to be able to help other women reason through these big questions. I might not be the expert, but I want to collect research and information so that we can all be more informed. Three, I would love to see women have more representation in church leadership. However I discover God leads us, whether it turns out that complementarianism is right or egalitarianism is right or whatever, I want women to be more represented in the church leadership. Even if that means they can't be pastors, I want their voices to be heard by the pastors who are there. And this has become a bigger and bigger issue. It has always been an issue, but I think it's, it's been undercover for a while now, or people weren't seeing it for a while is probably more accurate. And it's led to a lot of abuse of women in the church. And women are valued and loved by God. So just to summarize really quick the things that I've learned so far, the way I read the scripture passages is heavily influenced by what I've already been taught about them. Secondly, really think about how pastors and male church leaders have been taught. Third, question the evangelical church's obsession with gender roles. Fourth, your Bible translation actually matters. And five, question the gatekeepers who have decided what these passages specifically mean. And friends, if you really want me to cover a specific topic or a specific passage of the New Testament, feel free to text me if you know me or email me at podcastercatherine at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to get more into the topics you're interested in. Lord, thank you that you are the source of all truth. You know everything. You have so much love for men and women. You have sent your son as a sacrifice for us, and you love us so much more than we could possibly imagine. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. We thank you so much that you are living and active and present. You are not a God who checks out of our lives, and you are God of justice. You are a God who wants to see wrongs righted. I pray that we would have teachable hearts, that we would have open minds and willing spirits. We love you so much, Lord. Continue to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks for joining. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the Revival Podcast for Millennial Women. If you got something meaningful out of today's episode, please subscribe and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. These reviews help more women find the show, and it helps grow our community. Plus, these reviews help me see how God is using this podcast, and that, my friends, blesses me greatly. Oh, and be sure to check out the show notes for more ways to connect with me. See you next time.